You are listening to the Enormo Cast. La Sportiva presents Storytime. There once was a little boy named Tommy Caldwell. One day, little Tommy decided he wanted to climb a really big wall, but he couldn't find any shoes to climb the big wall in. So he decided to build his own out of scotch tape, fluffernutter, and a used pair of hand jammies left behind by a couple of euros in Camp 4. When those didn't work, Tommy called the adults at Sportiva and asked them for help. Sportiva came up with the TC Pro, named after little Tommy himself. A shoe so good at big wall climbing that little TC grew up to climb the hardest, biggest big walls in the world in his TC Pros. Then he talked his best friend, teeny tiny Alex H, into trying them, and Alex, well, he became a pretty good climber too. So if you want to be like TC or Tiny A, go to Sportiva.com or your favorite mountain shop and check out a pair of TC Pros, and maybe someday you'll grow up too. The end. Does your partner suffer from try-it-again syndrome, or one-hangitis, or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown, but it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end, and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain, a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BNP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs, and when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old track climbers rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with belay specs. It is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after far too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to belayer neck pain. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Nice. I'll say, so we really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is August 9th, about 9 o'clock here in Central Time. 
Yes, I'm located at a remote bunker here in northern Wisconsin right now. And this is episode 134 of the Unomcast, a conversation with alpinist and filmmaker Graham Zimmerman. And my apologies to Graham. This thing got put on the back burner for quite some time. I got it actually way back in April when he was in town for the Five Point Film Festival, premiering a film at the uh, festival, and just got put on the back burner for a bunch of different reasons. And here we go. Anyway, it's, uh, you know, not, not a lot we do on on here with these wide open interviews becomes that timely, but uh, nevertheless, finally getting to it, excited about this one. We go down two different paths, not just his climbing, but also his filmmaking, which is, I think, pretty cool. And yeah, but he's in the Karakoram right now. Anyway, so he's not going to hear this apology till he gets back. So for all he knows, it's been out for months. But before we get to that, I want to draw your attention to the newest sponsor here at the Cast Boulder Denim. These guys are out of Canada, two young climbers that got in touch with me, and I really dig what they're doing. They just decided uh, to get involved with apparel and uh, sort of go up against the big guys, if you will. They've just got a few different designs on women's and men's jeans, stretchy, stain-resistant, made for climbing, made for activity. They uh, they just really felt like um, nothing like that existed, at least not the way they wanted it, so they built it. Now they're touring around the country in their Airstream. I think they're still on the road here in the States. Showing the jeans off at, at gyms and trying to get excitement around this stuff. And anyway, I just decided to get on board. I like having the big guns, the Black Diamond and Sportiva. But obviously, I also want to support some of these younger, smaller companies run by climbers. These guys are both climbers. And uh, anyway... Check them out. It's at boulderdenim.com. You can enter Enormo at checkout to get a discount. Obviously, get the uh, Normacast a little bit of kickback from those guys. Uh, but I really want them to succeed. And like I said, it's nice to have this smaller action here on the Normacast as well. Bonfire, Belay Specs, Peter Gilroy, and now these guys. And the nice thing personally is that this is going to hold off my uh, downward spiral into dad jeans. That's the eventual place I'm going to end up. But in the meantime, I'm sure if the normal baby was aware of such things, he'd be totally okay with me wearing these jeans and not be embarrassed at all. Like he's going to be about so many other things as he grows older. So again, that's boulderdenim.com. Entry normal at checkout. Help these two climbers keep the dream alive. And thanks for keeping my dream alive. Things are going strong over here at the Enorma Cast, smooth as silk. So let's just get to it. An interview with Graham Zimmerman. So on each episode, I try to say something ridiculous to keep you listening to and considering the commercials on the Enormacast. For example, I might tell you that Joe Kinner once trekked 40 miles across the Arctic sea ice in a cold forge down hoodie, saving the lives of two wounded seal pups he had stuffed in the roomy legs of his vintage Jinko jeans. Or despite marketing's advice about being inclusive, I'll say something completely esoteric like Black Diamond's headlamps are brighter than six cluster winks on a cookie cutter. That's one for you marine biologists. 
But of course, these are flat-out fabrications. Fake news, if you will. But what's not a lie is that Black Diamond simply makes and sells great gear to keep you safe, warm, and dry, and feeling as slick as Bootsy Collins' middle finger on your next adventure. You need good gear, and the climbers at Black Diamond make good gear, and they have supported the enormous cast since nearly its inception. So please consider that next time you're about to throw down hard cash for that next prized piece of gear. Black Diamond is a proud supporter of the Enormacast. <laughs> but it was cool to get uh, to get Kitty. Um, I interviewed Kitty while I was. Like, oh, cool! Right on. So, That's um, sweet. And I'd never, I'd ne- only met her in passing, and and uh, she's a little. She can be a little like, uh, what's the word? A little bit. Um, inscrutable and like as just uh if you just meet her you know casually uh-huh. and then i spent the whole weekend kind of with her because she was over at my hotel so cool. we kept getting rides together and stuff and yeah she's really really sweet and, and wonderful that's awesome yeah i don't know kitty well at all yeah but she's can, you know bit. she's got a little bit of that <laughs> tough outer crust to get through dude her. totally yeah but she's really just a total sweetheart so it's, and she is a badass mm-hmm. as well so you are here at Five Point because you have a film in the program today, or was it last night? I forget what you uh, the film. Night. The film Above the Fray is in the program tonight. Okay, yeah. And uh, what's uh, what's the story with your movie? Uh, it's it's um, it's a film about Beth Rodden, uh-huh. and <clears throat> it's a film about her experience in Kyrgyzstan. Okay, and then her you know her experience is rock climbing, and then getting injured, and then having her son Theo, and it's really about. It's about um, transformation. It's about motherhood, and it's about engaging vulnerability. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. I've been trying to get Beth on the show. We've we've talked about it a number of times, and um, we've just not been able to cross paths because she's a busy woman because of all these things. Yeah, I mean, having a kid now that I've got a kid. I think I think with Beth, sense. you got to go chase her around these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she's awesome. She's a, yeah. She's a. I mean, incredibly kind, very thoughtful, and I mean, clearly super talented gal i've been trying to get at or and it's like she's she's at, at outdoor retailer and she tends to just dip like and we start to plan it and she's like i get there at 9 a.m and then you know i'm leaving like six hours later or whatever and we've never been able to get done but hopefully beth if you're listening you know let's keep trying to get get on the show so sure. um let me ask you then before we get into alpinism yeah um since we're at the film festival that's where we're getting this done here in carbondale uh, about filmmaking because you know it, it your climbing is is obviously your 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 motivation your personal part of it but then you've got this public person who's putting out media um there's a lot of humor in it and i kind of just wanted to ask you about you know as you come up as a climber you said you were a dirtbag for a long time here i don't know we'll get into some of your other history but uh, when did the filmmaking or when did that become part of like just life for you as a climber? Was it organic? Was it just you guys fooling around with cameras and then starting to make stuff? Or was it, a, it sort of a plan that you came up with at some point? Um, I, it certainly wasn't much of a plan. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's see. I guess, you know, film has been something that's always interested me. And with climbing, I've, I've always been interested to find ways to share it mm-hmm. with, with the tribe, with others. I think that alpinism is something that I really love deeply. 
And uh, it's also something that I think could be a pretty selfish pursuit. If you, if you go on these trips and you do these things and you don't tell anybody, they're really just for you. And that's, that's great if that's what you want. But it's pretty important for me, you know, if I'm going to put all this energy towards something and utilize all these resources for something, to have, have an ability to share inspiration with the community. And that's kind of what got me into you know, content creation at large. And as, as I started getting more into writing and taking photos and shooting video and started doing more work as an athlete, it kind of it just all of those things matured. And now we're at the point where filmmaking is one of the primary things that I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I really, I really, really enjoy it. And as a, uh, professionally for me personally, I've, you know, I'm much more of a scientist. Um, I studied science. I worked as a geophysicist for a long time, but creativity and kind of that, I guess it would be right, you know, right brain engagement is Mm -hmm. something that, that I, that I didn't really get into until my early twenties. And it's kind of developed with my sense of looking at how to get out mountains differently. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's a lot of creativity involved there. There's also a lot of just straight, you know, crunching numbers, logistics. But if you want to really think hard about what you want to do in the mountains and what, you know, is most meaningful to you, I think there is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of creative space there. And I think that engaging that and creating, you know, films or writing, that kind of thing, has all developed together, and it's been something that's, it's been a process I've really, really enjoyed. Let me ask you a quick thing about logistics. Um, This festival we're at, you know, it really focuses on the filmmakers as much as just showing movies to the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been something that, uh, you know, the five point, they've always tried to encourage filmmakers to come here and learn and, and often have even financed films and things like that. So, let me ask you about a little bit about the logistics. So when you're up there shooting uh, footage, you know, on these climbs, what are you using? I mean, are we down to like iPhone? Or are we? Are we? What are you guys pulling out on this stuff? Because um, I mean, that's really like in my lifetime. Yeah. You know, as a climber for twenty some years or whatever. And not just in climbing, but in, in the world of media. I mean, even sitting and recording this, you know, oh. 20 years ago, we'd have needed a truck outside with cables like running to it, honestly. And here we have this like handle totally. thing. So, but within climbing, I mean, that's just changed so much that you guys are running light and you can just pull these things out and have them and be climbing hard with like a little bit of gear to make a film. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. And it's something that's certainly progressed a lot over, I mean, over my climbing career, I think, uh, I mean, even in like a decade or even five years, you know, things are shrinking. So I think, uh, on the the first, the first kind of climbing film that I made was on a route in Alaska that we, that was called Vitology, um, my dear pal, Mark Allen and I, and we had those flip cameras. Do you mm-hmm. remember those? It was oh, like, yeah. like a, it was a, like a big iPhone and all it did was shoot shitty video. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's, and we just dragged those up the climb and just kept them on as much as mm-hmm. possible. And it was sweet, you know, and we put out a video that had a whole bunch of really expensive music that we didn't license because we didn't know anything about that and all this flip footage and. 
it was great. That was kind of that was actually kind of my first my first real dive into that world. Yeah, the flip. Wasn't it just the flip or something like that? I think that's I think that's yeah. what it was called. What yeah. What did it record on? Did it was it digital like tapes or was it? No. Yeah. It was. It was. It was, it, was, little... it was digital and yeah. it was all internal memory right. and I think I think it shot at like you know six six forty. Like, yeah. You know, just tiny. Those guys laugh. I mean, they they were this giant innovation, but. It, but they just got like swept away anyway. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Because it was like the coolest thing in the world for like two years. Yeah. And, and then, they were like, we're on top of the world. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, <laughs> no, you're not. Your thing's a piece of junk. Like all the all the years. phones were like, actually, yeah. we're just gonna put that on our phone. Yeah. So. Thank you. Um, so, but these days, you know, we have all these small small cameras that that we can carry. I mean, we could dive into the specifics right. of what I'm dragging around up there, but no. it's, but it's like small small yeah. mirrorless systems. I'm just curious. Yeah. And, uh, it's you know there are things that you know we have these cameras that are that are really small and work really right. well. Yeah, I'm just curious because you know I, I started climbing in the in the world of slide film, right? And I just remember you know at times being really excited to document and to have my camera with me, but then you know then also you had this like little brick mm-hmm. thirty you know Nikon FE2 or whatever, and it was. You know, serious weight, and it was also a pain in the ass to pull out. And it didn't even mine didn't even have autofocus. I think autofocus was, you know, something that was super expensive at that point. And you know, so it became like this burden. And I always wonder when I see these films, you know, obviously, if you're up there creating and you want to be, you know, you have this idea of getting enough footage that at point at some point later you can you can tell your story. If it's ever like a pain in the ass or a burden or something you force yourself to do at the at the wrong moments, you know we we uh, reviewed or we put out cold yesterday again in our best of mm-hmm. thing and uh, you know famous film that that Corey Richards did and you know that's one where I'm just like how much did it suck to like I keep trying to remember to pull the camera out when like all you're really trying to do is survive uh, during that so is that I mean is it ever like feel like intrusive or is it just something that you're like this is part of climbing now for me is to get get Um, this thing out i mean it's certainly part of climbing it's really easy when the climbing is really good and it's really pretty. Yeah. The, the hard, yeah, the hard thing it's is... It's sunny out. It's warm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, take my, off. my partner is traversing across this gorgeous swath of rock. And I'm just standing here at the belay. And I'm going to you know, lean back with my camera. And I, th- I think that the... Uh, I mean, that film, Cold, excels for a lot of reasons. It's an incredible film. But... Uh, well, no but. And uh, when Corey <laughs> pulls out the camera immediately after... The uh, the avalanche on their way sure. off of the peak. That's that's really as um, as a filmmaker. I see that as really impressive because that's this moment where where everything is fucked. Can I can I say bad words? Oh yeah. Okay, sure. great. Um, where everything is fucked and uh, <clears throat> and he his immediate reaction is to capture the experience. Which is really hard, and uh, and that's something that's something that I certainly find challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when things get when things get bad, when the storm rolls in, when you know whatever. Um, to be like, okay, I'm going to have the camera out, and then we're going to deal. Right. And um, and I think there are some things you can do to to make that easier. One of them is to climb as a team of three. Mm-hmm. You have three people. You have three heads in the game. Three people to deal with problems, and it means that. 
it's a lot easier to capture. Right. Um, you know, if you're climbing by yourself, it's a lot harder. Right. Right. There's kind of, you know, so it's shaky helmet footage looking at at your shoes. Yeah. Oh, don't we all love it? (laughs) (laughs) Have Um, you ever, have you ever, uh, been on, like been on some sort of mission where you're really excited to get all this footage and your partners aren't so excited to have um, it out or is it is it something that you make sure is up front you know uh that hasn't really been a problem i think at this point it's something that people know that i'm fired up about and I mean, climbing partnerships in the big mountains are such an intimate thing sure. um, that, you know, I think that the people who I get along with best in the mountains are people who are also interested in capturing that experience. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the guys I, I see, you know, you've made some films with and hang out with is Austin Sidek. Mm-hmm. And that guy, yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of his sort of modus operandi as well. Um, and you guys have tried to bring, I mean, some of your stuff is pretty humorous. Is there a philosophy behind that other than just you guys, you know, drinking beers and coming up with, with goofy ideas or, or is putting humor in this whole like serious game, something that you, uh, that you aspire to do or is it just kind of again happen sort of naturally? Cause there's this like mold that I grew up with and, uh, that alpinism is, was a serious, serious business. And if the book came out, it was. You know, it was it was suffering and it was, you know, self transformation through like burning your soul to a crisp and then seeing what grew out of it kind of was the the sort of twite mode, if you will. Totally. And and I don't know. It seems like there's a generation. And I talked to Tommy Caldwell and he, he mentioned that even within sport climbing and within competition climbing, that his generation were, you know, looked at these guys that appeared to hate climbing. And, and said, well, this is, seems kind of like not that much fun, you guys. You know, like, let's start having fun with this. I, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I do, I, I, I read a lot of Mark Twight when I was younger. And I still, I still dip my toe in occasionally. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, he's, you know, I love that writing. He defined the, the era, for sure. And, uh, yeah, and I think he, and he really brought an attitude towards uh, specifically alpinism that, was aggressive and it was also it also pushed really hard on these clean tactics mm-hmm. you know not utilizing you know siege style tactics going ultra light and uh and really part of that is being really aggressive and part of that is being really kind to our mountain environment and uh and i think that it also you know oftentimes allows for um these experiences that you could have with your partners where you get you get way out there, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have a whole bunch of rope trailing all the way back to base camp. Right. When it's just just two of you tied to a tied to the side of a big well, mountain. He kind of introduced these tactics in a sense that have become the style. I mean, it, oh yeah, just, this is how climbing is now. At least that you know at that end where it matters in terms of us climbers. Totally, yeah. which is which is incredible. Yeah. And I think that I think that he and that and that community. Um, that he was a part of really kind of allowed for the next generation, my, my generation, to, to not have to be as worried about being quite as tough and, uh, <laughs> and or yeah, allowed yeah. us to kind of engage other emotions within climbing. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, yeah, we suffer. Yeah, things are scary and hard. 
But there's a lot of really funny stuff that happens as well. Sure. <clears throat> Whether and, absur- and absurd. I mean, there's an absurdity to the whole tactic, the whole <laughs> operation that can't be denied. Totally. And so, yeah, you know, and yeah. so humor, absurdity, you know, it's, it's, it's there. Oh, absolutely. And if you, ha- if you can't step outside and look at how ridiculous what, what you're trying to do really is, yeah, it's kind of, you know. Totally. And I, and I guarantee you that, that, you know, that Mark and all his partners giggled a lot in their tent together. Oh, yeah. But that's just not, you know, because of, because of, you know, what their community valued because of what they needed to share about climbing. That's not, that's not what got shared. And I think that, to be totally honest, that, you know, some of these projects have been working on with Austin, with Jim Aikman, um, and a few other folks, it's been... It's really been about sharing some of those elements of climbing culture, of our climbing experience that are not quite as hardcore, right. that are just, you know, that are fun. Right. And, it's, and that's something that I really get a kick out of. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to take it so damn seriously. Well, it's funny because I personally, even with this show, like I waffle, you know, some days I am that. I'm just like, this is absurd. And it's so ridiculous what we do compare you know and and you get into the whole you know compared to actual human beings who are actually (laughs) suffering Uh you know these the whole first world problem thing or whatever but then at times i'm just like no this is like this is serious you know it's my life and don't make fun of it because you know it is this thing that has shaped me um, so, it, you know, there is this dichotomy it's, with climbing where you can fall into both camps pretty easily. And it, I mean, it is both. It is both, right. Yeah, I mean, well, it is, it is com- total, it totally is an absurdity, and it is the most incredible thing that I can imagine doing. I think, I mean, the complexity of it, obviously, you know, the, the, the greater community mainstream thinks, you know, falls to this adrenaline rush thing, which as climbers and in any sport, whether any of these adventure sports, the people doing it are like, no, 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 no. You know, if, it, if that's all it was, it'd be a roller coaster. And, and you know, you do it a few times and then call it good. Mm-hmm. There's a complexity to it. And I think that dichotomy is certainly a, a part of that complexity. Oh, yeah. You know, that keeps us coming back where, you know, literally on a climb, you can be suffering, you know, again, with quotes around it. And then an hour later, you're laughing. And then an hour later, you're like, I'm uh, going to die soon. And then you're on top and you're like, oh, that was fun. You know, these, this up and down, this emotion. So, I mean, <laughs> filmmaking and storytelling, I think, is really great when it somehow, and it's very difficult to capture both of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a lot easier to, to do one and not mix the other one. And I think the humor thing is really tricky. Because I've thought about it too. I mean, you know, people have said that this podcast can be really funny at times, mostly when either Kelly Cordes or Hayden Kennedy is on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've thought about like what if I was like going to make a funny movie about climbing, what would I do? And I have this, you know, these images in my head. But then, you know, comedy is no joke. Like, <laughs> and what you think you're you're get it? I mean, if you what you think you and your bros think is funny around the fire, you know, drink a whiskey or whatever super hard to like and maybe it's not funny at all because you were mm-hmm. stoned or whatever mm-hmm. and so i mean have you guys sort of met that in 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 creating these these sort of humorous films yeah i mean i don't know it's it is it is it, it's not a hmm 
But I mean, it's comedy is super hard. Yeah. And I'm not. I lay no claim to being good at it at all. Right. Uh, I think that you can't. Yeah. It, yeah. It's uh. It's it's really tricky, and it's um. I mean, spraying about how funny you are. That's like the that's the worst kind of spray. That's right? that would yeah that would be that would be really <laughs> really bad. Um, no, I mean I mean seriously though, I think that there's you know there's a lot of kind of referencing other people. Like, mm-hmm. Do you think this is funny? Because yeah. I think this is funny, and and then just figuring out how to capture it right. properly. I mean, talk about like the challenge of comedic timing and stuff like yeah. that. It's, well, I'm going really to tell you, and, and I'm friends with Austin, mm-hmm. but I, I, I got to give you the edge on your acting just a little bit over Austin. <laughs> so if you're listening to Austin, you need, you know, I don't know, just like tune in to what Graham's doing because you, you know. Just letting you know. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, uh, pe- people want to check that out. You can find that stuff on, on Graham's website. So it's let's on, move it's on. All, it's all on the internet. Yeah, it is. I know, I know your whole like, existence out there to be judged. Yeah. That's not funny at all, you asshole. <laughs> you were right. You're not funny. <laughs> cool. Let's talk about your climbing. We've been spending cool. a bunch on, on that. but. The reason I started with that, A, we're at the film festival, B, it, it just seems like for you they have become something that's the, the filming or the trying to tell the story is second nature to you. So, but let's talk about your climbing. The one thing, one of the things I found interesting is that you sort of cut your teeth alpine climbing. It sounds like in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing, how you uh, ended up in New Zealand, how long you spent there, and what that community was like? Because it's famous you know, for a hardcore alpinist community over there. Yeah. Um, well, we may as well go, go a ways back. Yeah. Um, so my folks are from Wichita and Salina, Kansas. Oh, nice. Very, very deep climbing. <laughs> yeah, there's some really great climbing out there. <laughs> and, uh, Although the Wichita people will argue that they're... Yeah, they're, they're yeah. actually, they're actually some, uh, some boulders in central Kansas that are pretty cool. But, um, but, uh... They, you know, in the mid-80s got pregnant and decided that they wanted to move as far from Kansas as they could. They kind of had their dreams of going elsewhere, and I think they had, they kind of saw that they had this choice to either stay in Kansas and raise kids in Kansas or to get out of Dodge. And so they moved to Wellington, New Zealand. So they, Um, like, drilled a hole directly through the earth. I mean, like popped out the other side, basically. Totally. (laughs) And, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, they, it was like the mid 80s, you know, well before all the technology that we have these days, you know, now when you go down to New Zealand, it's super easy to call home. But, you know, the long distance calls weren't that reliable. Um, There was no internet. And uh, it was a pretty bold move, you know. They were, you know, I think they were five months pregnant when they moved down there and just just showed up on the other side of the world, decided to figure out work and lived down there for I think I think they lived down there for four four years. So so I was like three and a half when they moved back to the States and they moved okay. to Seattle. And so that's that's really where my background in New Zealand comes from. And it's also I think uh So you were born there. I was born there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Key point. Um, <laughs> uh, I was born in Wellington. Okay. And so I have a citizenship down there. Okay. Um, since my folks are Yankees, I have a, a U.S. citizenship as well. And um, 
And it's, you know, I think not only has that been super foundational for me in terms of being able to go back to New Zealand where I was able to really cut my teeth in alpinism after high school, but, um, but that decision for my folks has always been something that, like, I don't know if I've ever done anything that bold. Right. Right. You know, it's, I've done some stuff where it's, you know, maybe a little bit audacious, but, but that's pretty... That's pretty badass on yeah, their part. And, and New Zealand is on our purview. You know, they have a really huge tourism industry now. You know, it's, but it wasn't, I mean, it was sheep herders. And I mean, it was pretty off the beaten path in the 80s. Oh, because, for, for sure. You know, I, we started before this. I was telling you that I went to school there for a semester in the nine, early 90s, 91, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And even then, they were just like, oh, we have this, this resource here, this, this beautiful tourism resource. But... While I was there, you know, they, it was being like felt out, how are we going to deal with this? And you still felt like nobody had seen somebody from elsewhere for a long time, especially on the South Island, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, think, I think I'm correct in saying that uh, wool, the wool industry was still the largest industry in New Zealand until the Lord of the Rings movies came out. Probably. And that, uh, yeah. that was what like launched the tourism scene. It was definitely scene. in 1980. It was... It was pretty quiet. It was, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was like you know, sixty sheep for every person right. kind of thing. So back to moving yeah. back to Seattle and there. So move, we moved back to Seattle, and, and uh, that's that's where I grew up. Right. I lived in Seattle till I was uh, till I was eighteen, and that's where I was exposed to mountains by by way of skiing, by way of rock climbing, kind of. Uh, my folks being from uh, actually so my folks being from Kansas didn't really know what to do about the fact that I was getting into climbing and they signed me up for a course with the uh, American Alpine Institute and I think yeah super cool and I think that their intention was that I would like get it out of my system and not not do it anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, you know clearly that was not what came to pass right and uh, and the guy who taught that was actually this fellow named Mark Allen who's who I ended up doing some of my first like Biggest sense in Alaska with, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty sweet. And uh, and then when I was eighteen, I moved back to New Zealand for school and studied um, studied glaciology down there. Okay. And while getting that degree, um, I, I attended in uh, in Dunedin at Otago University. So like three hours south of where you were. Right. Yeah, I was in Christchurch or outside of Christchurch. Totally. And uh, so being being there having the, the Southern Alps right in right. my back door. That's, it was kind of at that point in my life <laughs> that I knew that climbing was something that I really wanted to pursue. And those mountains were where I wanted to learn. Right. And they're, and they're big mountains. I mean, they come straight out of the ocean. They have giant glaciers. They're hard to get at. The, the weather's terrible. The conditions are fickle. I mean, they're, they were a great place to learn how to deal with bad conditions to learn how to get at things that are challenging to approach. And, and, uh, it, I think it created a really strong foundation for me. As a yeah. Climber. I was going to ask you that if you felt like, uh, I mean, it, it's New Zealand, the climbing and the mountaineering, it's been famous. I mean, since Hillary, right. Mm-hmm. They, that even though it's not such high altitude, uh, it still is this a uh, incredible training ground that's pumped, you know, alpinists into the world. Uh, for decades, you know, for so, the history totally. of alpinism, really. Uh-huh. And, I mean, Hillary was a was a was a, a Kiwi, mm-hmm. and um, Hill- Hillary had the FA of Everest. In yes. case anybody doesn't know. Oh, this is a climbing podcast. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> look it up on the internet. Yeah, look it up on the internet. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it, it it definitely is a place that yeah forces you to have your skills. And even though I mean, what's what's uh, 
cooks like 13. Something like that. But it's all the 13. Oh, yeah. It's like the whole 13. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah, from the ground up. Well, I mean, it's funny going from the Cascades where the tallest mountains are volcanoes. Some, the tallest mountains are some of the easiest things to climb. Sure. To cook is a, like, it's a real deal mountain. Oh, for sure. It's super, it's, I, there's no easy way to the top. Right. It's hard to get to the base. It's hard to get to the top. It's, it's got a bunch of really radical climbing on it. It's and pretty, true glaciers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, true conditions. And then the weather is the famous thing because it's, it's Patagonian in that same sense of storms like steaming across the ocean and then hitting this massive it's out of nowhere. The same, the same storms ripping around Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think they hit a tighter constriction at the, at the southern tip of South America, but still. So how long, so you stayed there for school. How long were you down there? I was down there for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time in the Southern Alps. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time drinking beer in college. Right. You know. It's a little town down there. Yeah. In Eden. Like in the middle of nowhere a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's super cool. It's right on the ocean. It's uh, got some pretty good rock climbing. It's got really good surfing. Mm-hmm. And the, the university culture there was wonderful. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, realistically, though, uh, my, yeah, my primary focus while I was down there was climbing. Well, and school. But, right. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so after school, came back to the States. Yeah, so after, <clears throat> after school, uh, graduated, came back to the States, and re- really um, s- just really dove into being on the road, climbing a lot, and <coughs> just figuring out how to finance expeditions and going on as many trips as I could. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, of course, went on the first few trips where we just got pummeled. But just slowly started to figure things out, you know, and, and kind of apply some of the skills learned in New Zealand, learn new things, and, uh, and started to figure out how to get up these mountains that I found inspiring in, you know, in, in Asia and in the Alaska Range and so, in South America. So let me ask you that. Uh, you know, for you, when you said you found a certain mountain inspiring, mm-hmm. is, are you able to sort of quantify or not necessarily quantify, but maybe talk a little bit about what an expedition, you know, what is the kind of expedition that really drives you um, in terms of the characteristics, the kind of partners you like to climb with, that sort of thing. You know, alpinism, it's just more than rock climbing or anything else. To me, it's it doesn't seem to be as much about the individual roots, you know, because it's such this logistic thing it's so important about the partners and mm-hmm. then the thing i always am interested in as a rock climber like you know the climbing route is this specific this exact line these exact holds mm-hmm. a lot of times like you're following this crack and you know the crux is going to be this undercling to a you know whatever to a finger lock and then you got to move left and you know the alpinism the route is just like oh yeah it goes up this face and this year it goes this direction and this year it goes this direction so the roots even become slightly like quite a bit more amorphous than a rock climb oh totally did. so yeah. yeah so tell me about the 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 expedition styles and places that you like to go well all right let's, let's we can like break it down a little bit in okay. terms of in terms of expedition styles i mean the the kind of modern Alpinism expedition of a small team going to remote places to try new things. Okay. That's and it's it's what you know it's what a lot of our community pursues and it's really sweet. It's mm-hmm. so fun, um, you know, to be able to 
take a group of people who you adore and go to an amazing place and try to do something that hasn't been done. It's just, I don't know. It's super badass. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's, uh, it's emotionally, you know, challenging and really fun. It's really, uh, it's physically, you know, totally, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's physically really challenging. And, uh, (laughs) And you get to spend time in these gorgeous places. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, I, that's, I, I love that. I, right. I just can't get enough of it. Um, and I've, you know, been really fortunate over the years to have a bunch of partners who I get along with really well. And we hold similar values for, you know, what we want to climb, how we want to climb it, what we want our safety margins to look like. Um, and I think that those, those three things are probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're, you know, for for me, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any interest in dying in the mountains. I want to be, I want to live to be an old guy. Right. Um, I've been climbing with Steve Swenson quite a bit recently, and I, like, I just try to, you know, capture as much of that beta as I can. Right. Tell me a little bit about Steve, or tell us a little bit about. Uh, Steve. Swenson is, I think. Gosh, I think Swenson is. 63 now, um, still crushing. I mean, we're going to the Karakoram together this summer and, um, and he's been, he's lived this incredible balanced life where he's been, uh, you know, he's been a good partner to his wife. He's been a good dad. He's been a successful businessman. Well, I guess he's a, he's, he's a, he's a retired engineer. So it's been a really successful, he's had a really successful career. And, uh, and he's had this incredible climbing career mm-hmm. and he's been on, um, gosh, I'm actually not sure how many Pakistani or Karakoram trips he's been on a lot, a lot, like upwards of 20 and he's climbed all sorts of radical shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's just really done a great job of balancing, you know, his different life goals and his need to stay safe. Right. And, um, and I, and I, and I just, you know, he's somebody who, who I really look up to sure, and, uh, and who I would love to emulate, you know, at least in, you know, some ways. And, uh, so yeah, so I think for, for me, you know, like I'm looking for a partner who's somebody who I trust, who I know that we can make, uh, I know we can make good decisions, both that will allow us to be successful and will allow us to come home safe. Right. You know, there's a, there's kind of a fine line there that you that you oftentimes have to tread. And well, I was going to ask you that, and I don't know if you, you're able to get into any super specifics, but um, obviously, you know, you, unless you're like Johnny Waterman or whatever, like you don't you don't obviously go out into the mountains to to not come back. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's there's been times where like that's a, a famous example of someone who left to not come back and he didn't come back. But generally, I mean, anybody's going to say that, like, I don't want to die in the mountains. So is there a way to be more specific about your decision making in terms of someone else who's thinking about, you know, I, I also had this really close call and I wonder why I made that decision or I mean, what does it look like to you to say I manage my risk. I don't take undue risk because obviously as soon as you leave the, actually as soon as you leave the United States or walk out your front door, I mean, if we want to get down that low, but really as soon as you leave base camp and you're on the mountain, you, you, you're walking into that world. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, absolutely the case. Um, you know, the risks in the mountains are super real and, 
you know, occasionally unavoidable. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think about the best way to answer that question. You know, I think there's, I think sometimes you need to be willing to say no. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, being really thoughtful and pragmatic about your decision making and then just gathering as much information as you can and then utilizing that information to make the best decision mm-hmm. you can. And that's really, those are really the things that I focus on. Well, and then the, the relationship with your partner has to come in uh, paramount in there. You know, I've, I've oh. talked about this with, I think on the show perhaps, but um, you know, I've, I've, I climb with partners and, and the good partners push you. Mm-hmm. They, they sort of bring out your best. And, you know, and sometimes that is, you know, they become a little bit of a bulwark against you giving up, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, a really good, good partner of mine, Rob Van Arnhem from Crestview for years for, I mean, my, my greatest and best partner in terms of rock climbing. You know, we, we've had these moments where both of us secretly wanted to go down, but we didn't. Uh-huh. Nobody was going to say it. Nobody was going to pull the, the parachute, you know, kind of thing. And then finally, when someone said, man, I don't know about this, the other person was like, yeah, me neither. Let's get out of here. <laughs> but I've also climbed with people where I've been the guy that when the person wanted to give up, I was pissed. Uh-huh. And or I've been the guy that said, no, we're done. And the person I was climbing with was like, well, what are you talking about? So the dynamic with making those decisions has to be, a, a, you know, it's not as simple as just like everybody has veto power. Although I guess in the end they do. <clears throat> For I mean, sure. Personally. I mean, I think that, uh, I don't know, am I using pragmatism correctly when I say like just being really pragmatic about that you have, you have, you have the feeling of fear and it's oftentimes, you know, it, you know, creates fear when you're on the sides <laughs> of these mountains. Lots of times, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on any climb, you'll have a moment where you're like, oh, fuck, where am I? This is, this is not a good idea. Right. I am tied to the side of a large mountain. Um, and working through that to say, okay, you know, where... Like, where am I on the mountain? What are conditions doing? What's the weather doing? What's our health like? What's our, you know, what, what's our level of fatigue like? And are we in a position where we are actually unsafe and we should go down? Or are we in a position where we are safe and we should continue up? Or are we in a position where we're kind of unsafe, but actually we kind of need to go up? Right. Because going down is worse. Well, yeah, that's the Kelly Cordes, like, yeah. uh, the, well, I don't, can't remember what he called it, but... The yeah. idea that you just get as high as you can before you kind of realize what's going on. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I mean, to- to- <laughs> like before you wake up. Totally, dude. And I think, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. I think that um, something that was, when I was younger, was really helpful for me was the idea of, you know, you can view safety as the ground. Like, the ground is safety. Home is safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sitting, sitting in Carbondale, drinking a cappuccino is pretty, mm-hmm. is pretty damn safe. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also pretty great. Yeah. Um, but if you can define safety as the next belay or as that place where you know you can bivy mm-hmm. um, and it's safe, it's, you know, that's, you know, you're kind of, you're, you know, if you are in a dangerous position, kind of fi- figuring out where that next, like, island of safety is and right. moving to that is something that, that I think about a lot. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's, and it can come down to just being on a pitch and being like, man, I'm run out. I'm scared. What do I need to do? Do I need to go down? And it's like, actually, you can just go up. And once you reach that next belay, you're probably just as safe as you were 
at the last play. Right. And it just kind of, and just really, uh, you know, kind of developing those, um, I don't know, those kind of like mental parameters for like how to deal with those feelings and understand what a, what a bad feeling of fear is and, you know, and then try to define where it's coming from and see if it's actually something that you need to act upon. Okay. I don't know. That's, yeah, no, just, I mean, that's really that's a, bunch of, that's a bunch of rambling about, well, about trying to be safe in the mountains. Yeah, but, but what you're trying to do is explain a, a thought process that's not, I mean, it's not as conscious as, you know, these ticking of boxes that, I mean, the way, the way you have to explain it is that way, but, but we know that those, it's all these constant run around of thoughts that are, uh-huh. you know. Well, and, there, and then also you, also you have to pay attention to gut feeling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all heard stories about, you know, that team that was up there and nothing was apparently wrong. But the boat, like you know, but somebody really felt like they needed to go down. They went down, and like an avalanche washed the face or whatever. Right. And uh, and so I do think that's really important. And uh, you know, the I think that one of the most important things as well is root choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I don't know. It's in you know speaking kind of a public public forum like this. I think that it's. I think this you know obviously applies to first ascents or whatever. But I think. You know, given how much these uh, mountain environments are changing, as you know, with climate change and all that, you know, I think that each route that we get on needs to be assessed for safety, as like in terms of you know, is this, does this have objective hazard? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this a good idea? And uh, and and a lot of what I'm pursuing in climbing, whether it's an established route or a uh, or something new, is a very specific type of line, and it's one that is a uh, is a convexity, so it sticks out. So if things shed off of it, they're going to shed away from it versus mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like versus a concavity, like a couloir. Um, it's steep, and it's and it's uh, relatively free of objective hazard. Right. And if I can, if I can, and I think it's sweet because that also, you know, what you're talking about is like big alpine buttresses and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and these big these big ridges and and I think that those features are also um, beautiful. They're super aesthetically pleasing, and uh, and they oftentimes offer really bitch in climbing. Right? right. I mean, you think about like the big buttresses of the world. That's well, it occurs to me that in a lot of ways, sort of the modern the modern approach to these big mountains versus thirty years ago or forty years ago, or you know, that's flipped. To where you guys have the skills, the gear, the vision to climb these things that were literally avoided, because that—I mean, what you're saying—the convexity mm-hmm. or the concavity. What? Which one is it? Con- concavity is in, so yeah. concave. Concavity, yeah, is what they looked for in the years past, in the in the you know in the fifties oh, and sixties. Yeah. Was let's go up the gut of this thing where there's this you know mellow snow climb, but of course the. You know, the 50 or 55 degree snow climb is the thing that's going to rip. Dude, totally. I mean, there are all these first descent routes of these big peaks. A lot of them are death routes, right? Yeah. And, and they uh, just snuck in or they didn't. And it's, you know, and I mean, or, it's, yeah. And it's, I don't know. Personally, it's, it's one reason why I'm really thankful that I'm alive and climbing now. Right. Because I think we do have the ability to stay on these features that offer arguably better climbing and... Safer. Are safer, yeah, objectively safer. Yeah, and it's and I, and I think that I, I mean that's you know that's just what we want, right? Yeah, hard hard climbing, compelling climbing, 
that you know where the responsibility of your safety is up to you not falling right. instead of worrying about something falling Just on some, you something coming down yeah one day yeah yeah so that's that's really what gets me fired up right, right. um and uh but i i don't know i think that the last note is probably that uh partnership is you know you hear you hear a lot of discussion about the the brotherhood of the rope and that kind of stuff and and it oftentimes sounds so cliche, but it's so it's so damn true. Right. You know, the uh, the relationships that we form in these mountains are just incredible. Um, they're so intimate. And it's really it's really fascinating to me that, you know, they're like my my partner, Shannon, my romantic life partner. You know, she knows me really well. Mm-hmm. And uh she probably knows me better, better than anybody. But there are there are parts of me that only my my climbing partners know about. Right. You know, she's 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 not a climber. She doesn't really have any interest in suffering on big mountains. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, smart, reasonable woman, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, but you know, it, it means that it means that there are some parts of me that she. She may never know, and, and that's, which is fine. You know, I think she's probably even more okay with that than I am. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, it, but you know, the, there are there are these friends that I have who who know know those parts of me really well because we spent all this time hanging off these big mountain faces together, and it's the, it, it allows for the formation of these relationships that are just really tight bonds. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting because alpinism again, there, there's like this uh, this. I guess, conceit or this idea that, you know, it's these manly men, at least it used to be mostly manly men. Um, it's getting, you know, we talk about on the show all the time. It's, it's evening <laughs> out, but alpinism still is a, is a lot of dudes up there in the mountains. Together. There, there are definitely some women who are crushing yeah. and it's super cool. But uh, there is this, it's, it's ironic because in a lot of ways it is this like incredibly intimate relationship that can happen. I mean, you know, like you just said, I don't know anybody else that has seen me, you know, that like strung out, that scared, you know, like crumbling and in, in any other part of my life, the way like some of these partners that I've had climbing and, I, and I'm not an alpinist, but, you know, I've had plenty of, of like Black Canyon climbing experiences that, you know, ended in me sort of you know, breaking apart at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've talk, joked about crying on lead, but that was both the, those times where I was, um, I was soloing. So there was no <laughs> one to witness it. <laughs> there was no one to witness the single, the single tear come out of my eye and drip down and fall 2000 feet to the valley floor. Oh, this one funny. tear. Um, <laughs> No, actually, it was in the Fisher Towers. Anyway, that's a whole other story. It sounds but yeah, they, they, it's funny. It's cool you say the intimacy because it's glossed over in a lot of ways. And, and you know, you, you going back to your films, you guys have made fun of it in a couple little vignette films, your uh, Shiver Bivy and some of those other ones. But for you to sit here and talk about that is a little bit of a modern idea as well because, you know, if you read the, if you read the great pieces from the, you know, Annapurna and you know the conquistadors of the absurd and stuff like that you know there's these men were not talking about like intimacy on these mountains the way I think it gets talked about nowadays or even even projected in some of the films and stuff that we see totally yeah man I mean 
And it's, I mean, it was certainly there. Right. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, these guys, you know, we talked to, we talked to the, uh, you know, the veterans, mm -hmm. veterans these days. And one of the primary things they talk about is the brother, brother, right. brother the rope. You well, know. you know, I, I said that, but then I think back to Mallory and if you read, you know, that guy was a pretty sensitive dude. For sure. Yeah. Writing. I think, I think Mallory was a pretty unique individual right. in that whole scene. Right. Um, yeah, he was, you know, there was a very, like, the British mindset of, of being the, the like, untrained gentleman who, adventurer. And right. He was a little bit of an enigma in that sure. realm. Yeah, um, well. And as, those, as was Hillary. Yeah. Those guys were shattered, though, too, by, by the war already. You know, that, that that's a, a big part of that whole generation, the earliest Everest guys. Um, that was really post-World War I, and, and a lot of them were veterans, so uh -huh. they had already been like laid as bare as they could possibly be. Kind of, that's true. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And Hillary, too. You were saying, it, he was, he was a, yeah, he, well, he, I mean, he, he was, was a different mold. He was an enigma because he was, uh, I, I don't know, Hillary's somebody who I really think is pretty, I think he's sweet. He, uh, because since he was from the, the outer edge of the, you know, British Empire, mm -hmm. he, um, it was acceptable that he would train. Okay. So like none of these guys who were based in, in the UK would, would train at all because they had to be gentlemen. Right, it seems like beneath them. Like, yeah, it was the Swiss to, guy. To get a sweat, to get a little sweat on no, the I mean, totally. Like, they, would, they, would, they would actively talk shit about the Swiss guides who would train and like, you know, prepare for these trips and these guys would just be sitting around drinking tea talking about how great it was going to be. But since Hillary was, you know, from the, the nether regions of New Zealand, it was okay that he ran up a couple hills. Right. And then, you know, he's the one who sent, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So have you been uh, to altitude much? What's your experience with altitude? Um, I, I climbed 7,000 meters for my first time in 2015, uh -huh. and it was great. Yeah? Yeah. It's, I don't know, getting up in rarefied air is super badass. I, um, I guess, personally, my progression has, I've done, I've done some climbing in Asia over the years, but I've done a lot of climbing in Alaska and mm -hmm. down in South America. Mm -hmm. um, that's where a lot of my kind of foundation is, and it's, and it's been more recently that I've started going to like Pakistan and trying some of the, trying some of the higher peaks over there. Right. And uh, I'm pretty enthralled by it. Yeah. It's great. Um, I mean, it's really when you're up high, it's where you really get to test your training. It's uh, and it's it's just gorgeous. You know, it feels you get you get way up there and it feels like being on the moon. So, do you have aspirations to go to eight thousand? Um. Not, not really. Um, not, not for like the usual reasons anyway. Right. I, like I think that, hmm, it would be really cool to climb an 8,000 meter peak, right. but not because it's an 8,000 meter peak, sure. rather because it's something that I, I would love to see how my body does up there right. and see how my training can hold up for that kind of objective. You know, the things that f fascinate me most in the mountains have to do with getting at places where people don't normally go. Okay. Um, and, you know, going somewhere where I'm not going to see anybody else for a month or just, you know, I'll just see my partners. And, um, and we can be trying things that haven't, you know, haven't been done and are kind of off the beaten path. Sure. And there's that sense of discovery that's something that I really like. Right. Yeah. The eight thousand meter peaks just they come with the they come with the hullabaloo. Dude, there's a lot of baggage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've I mean, those been... days of, of 
by yourself are 40 years gone or whatever. Oh, yeah, most of these big peaks. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, you know, who knows? Like, you know, some of the 8,000 meter peaks have really incredible unclimbed objectives. Sure. And they may be on faces that are a little bit off the beaten path. And that would be super cool. I'd be super interested in that. But going and like climbing Everest via the South Col is not something that I'm particularly interested just, in. There's a podcast uh, Graham just made this uh, really grimmest face when he said that. <laughs> you can't see it on the podcast. But. <laughs> I mean, and I think it's sweet. If that's something that really inspires you, awesome. But like, I just don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a typical mold of, yeah. of, of, the, of the alpinist on the show. Like, it's, that's not the scene anymore. If there was some side of Everest where you could go and climb something still, but totally. it's almost, you know, with those guys that, with the whole Sherpa fight and all that a, a few years ago, sort of showed that it's almost close to doing anything out of the ordinary anymore. Totally. Because you're in the way, the commercial thing has to march on, and it's just not there for you anymore. And there's, you know, and there's a lot of garbage, and there are a lot of people, right. and there's Wi-Fi. Right. That's not, that's not why I go to the mountains. Yeah. You know, I go to the mountains to have like a very you know, intimate experience in the mountains, in a natural space leave it as, you know, as clean as I, as I found it and try to really push myself mm-hmm. on something that I find compelling and challenging. And, uh, and I don't, I don't really see that experience sure. coming to fruition on, on Everest. So looking at the arc of, of your career so far, if you want to call it a career, a climbing career, you talk about Steve Swenson as this, obviously this mentor, whether he's meant to be or not, you're, you're, you're gleaning all this knowledge from him and someone you, you said you looked up to. And looking at your career, I mean, you're, you're getting to this point now where you're, you're not bumbling around. You talk about these first expeditions, we didn't get any specifics, but you said like, you know, the first ones didn't go the way we thought they were gonna go and I, you started to figure it out. It seems like you're at a point now where, or maybe I'm asking if you feel like you're at a point and you know, don't get too cocky and ruin it, but you know, are you <laughs> at a point now where you feel like you have something to offer maybe some partners who aren't as experienced as you are? Could you possibly think of yourself as this mentor role yet um, in terms of bringing, you know, bringing something to the game that, you know, is based in experience and based in, in, uh, in getting things done and having a decent track record? Well, let's be clear. I still, I still bumble. Fairly regularly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, well, it'd be you know, boring if you were just like knocking them out of the park every damn time. Oh, dude, maybe not. It'd be, maybe it'd be that, awesome. I don't know. That'd probably be sweet. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. I think that, I mean, this kind of comes back to content creation, sharing, inspiration. I, I, yeah, I mean, I really am psyched to share inspiration with others. And yeah. sometimes that comes in the form of, you know, going out with friends who maybe have a little bit less experience or experience in different realms. I was actually just on a just on a trip in Alaska with Forrest Woodward, who's really sinking his teeth into climbing in a big way. He's a super talented photog- photographer. Right. He's actually here at the festival as oh. well. And um, and then uh, and then our pal Brody Levin, who's a super bitch and skier. And it was the three of us in the mountains. You know, not not with a super clear objective besides. Um, having fun, challenging each other, and learning from each other. And, uh, and it was really cool to be able to go out with those guys and, 
you know, the little stuff that these days feels like no big deal, like how to build a cook tent in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like lay out how I think about it and kind of give them some a little bit of instruction and talking to Brody about you know, Jesus, dude, how do I ski this kind of stuff? This is terrifying. And talking to Forrest about how to be a better, you know, creative, creative, uh, person, mm-hmm. and, you know, how to, how to take better photos and take better videos and understand light more effectively and things like that. And I, th- so I think that, I think that learning is, and teaching are super important. And then I think there's also this really cool opportunity with climbing, um, and the little like soapbox that we get as athletes to, to try to inspire others to do whatever it is that they want to do. I've been like trying to get into, well, not trying, I, I guess I've, I've been getting into classrooms around where I live, just talking to students about what I do, how passion is driven, what I do, and how I've been pretty systematic about trying to achieve what I want. And then sharing with them, you know, listen, like that, this, for me, this is climbing, but for you, this can be whatever it is that, that gets you fired up. Right. You know, it's, that can be, that can be dance, mathematics, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, and that's been something that I've been really, really fired up about. Um, just trying to, you know, have, have that, have that influence on, on both people who are close to me, who I can like teach directly about mountains and, uh, and then, um, people who may not give a shit about mountains at all, but may give a shit about something else. And, and I think that, I don't know, I think that in teaching you, if you're thinking about teaching somebody else, it means you have to really master your personal methodology. And I think that's something that's been really beneficial for me Mm -hmm. is instead of just kind of going through my personal motions, I have to describe them to somebody. And that means that I actually have to have them zeroed in. Yeah. Which is sweet. Yeah. It's a good, I mean, there's no doubt that that teaching makes you evaluate what you're up to. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, sometimes you find out a ton about, you know, the bullshit that you've been yeah, been dealing with, or or you've been telling people that's not like, oh wait a minute, yeah, I've been saying that for twenty years, and it's actually totally bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> when your when your buddy asks, you, so why why do you do it that way? And yeah. you're like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe let I th- shouldn't. Be. Let me let me think about that. <laughs> exactly, let's reevaluate. <laughs> so tell me your film here again, because um, it's gonna. After, is this a premiere for it? World world, world premiere. Yep. Carbondale, Colorado. What's it called again? Above the Fray. Okay, and it's about Beth. And, uh, and so we'll be able to see that coming out here in festivals and stuff this year. And for sure. It'll be playing at festivals, yeah. and then it's going to release online um, in, a, in a few weeks. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down. I'm, I'm glad we finally met. It was, it was another one of these, these things where maybe we've crossed paths, but we're, um, we're a different generation, um, and I'm a rock climber. And... I try, I try to rock climb occasionally. I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually live at, at, in Bend, yeah. and I, so I go to Smith Rock, and I get my ass kicked on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> so if we crossed paths, it was, you know, on the way to the toilet in Indian Creek or something. Totally. So, but uh, great sitting down with you, and, and uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm. And, and uh, you know, as much as you kept saying the word rambling or whatever, you know, the thoughts that you've uh, sort of elucidated for us are, are pretty important in terms of, getting out into the mountains and being careful and, and understanding your motivation. So appreciate you sitting down. Oh dude, I appreciate it too. It's really, it's really great to come and chat with you, man. It's uh, yeah, I've been, I've been listening to your show for a long time and it's delightful to be able to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks, Graham. Hell yeah.
All right, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks to Graham for sitting down. Appreciate the time. Some sage advice from a youngish alpinist, though he has learned from the best. Remember that you can help out the Enormacast if you love it or if you like it, or even if you hate listen, or if you're just kind of ambivalent, but it passes the time. Whatever. If you're listening, please consider helping out. Head over to enormacast.com. Click on the Help Out tab. If you haven't written a review, please do. It somehow helps me, even if they're shitty reviews, apparently. Just reviewing it makes it, I don't know, something happens. It's supposed to be important. And or you can like the Facebook page, do a few other things. Of course, please tell your friends. And of course, if you want to help out financially, you can donate or you can support our sponsors. You can buy sweet gear from a lot of companies. I get it. But if you support our sponsors, you are supporting the show. And please feel free to let them know that you're glad that they're on board with the Normacast too. Okay, folks, it's the dog days of summer. We're winding into fall. Of course, the great time here in North America for climbing almost everywhere is the fall. But in the meantime, stay frosty out there. Keep your eyes on the safety prize. Use your signals. Make sure and communicate on the ground and on the climb. And of course, check your knot. If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life or your creed, what would that be? Have a good time all the time. That's my philosophy, Marty. <laughs>